Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Relationship Center on the Edify Podcast Network, and I'm glad you've tuned in. My name is Ernest Wamboye, and we are continuing with our series on the Ten Commandments. Last week, we looked at the introduction, and we looked at what the Ten Commandments were and who they were given to, and we learned a few interesting things. Some of you wrote to me and told me that you are pretty intrigued by the fact that the Bible is very clear that the Ten Commandments were not given to Moses, then to the children of Israel, but rather they were given directly to the children of Israel that all 2 million Jews or 2 million plus estimated had the voice of God from Mount Sinai giving the Ten Commandments. And then when they heard, they couldn't take it anymore. They say to Moses, tell him to stop. We cannot hear his voice anymore. You go up and receive them and speak to us instead. And then that's how Moses went. And then God had the Ten Commandments written on tablets. The Ten Commandments are also known as the Decalogue. And on them, we have the writings inscribed to the children of Israel on God's moral requirement for them. The Ten Commandments are by far the most famous set of moral instructions that have influenced constitutions, have influenced moral codes, have influenced religions, have influenced thought patterns, and because of them, we've got a lot of stability in many societies today. And we've been looking at them, uh, we will start looking at them one by one, and today we're going to look at the first commandment. And the first commandment is from Exodus chapter 20. The context is from verse 1, but the commandment really is on verse 3. And this is a really important commandment. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. I'm going to repeat it. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, in order to understand this first command that the children of Israel receive, you must know the context of um, what's going on. The children of Israel are in a desert at the foot of Mount Sinai. They are in transit. They have come from the land of Egypt, and that is why Egypt is mentioned here. And in Egypt, they were there for more than 400 years in slavery. The children of Israel landed in Egypt because there was a famine in the Promised Land. And in that time, Joseph, who was one of the sons of Jacob, had been sold into Egypt. And his brothers wanted to kill him and they were jealous of him, but they opted to sell him instead to Egypt. He came down to Egypt, and the Bible says in Genesis 39 that the Lord was with Joseph. And because of that, the children of Israel, um, the children of Israel had a fighting chance through Joseph. Joseph rose up, became prime minister of the land, and when the famine struck, they came down to Egypt and they found that their brother was king or rather second in command to the king, to Pharaoh. Now Joseph managed the, family, the, the, the land of Egypt so well that Pharaoh permitted for Joseph's family to live in a part of the land called Goshen. And, Jake, and, and, and Jacob and his sons and their families came down and they dwelt in Goshen. And time passed. And if you read the book of Exodus, it says that a time came when a new Pharaoh arose. And this Pharaoh did not know Joseph, 
and he had not heard of the great things that the Lord had done through this Joseph. And that history about Joseph was forgotten. And he noticed that there was this brand of there was this breed of people called the Israelites, the Hebrews, who were dwelling in Goshen. And he said, these people will overpower us. Let's oppress them and make them our slaves. And so the Israelites were enslaved. And if you know anything about Egypt, Egypt is a place that has got lots of idol worship, lots of gods. And the Egyptians have a god. The Egyptians had a god for everything. They had a god for the sun. His name was Ra. They had a god for the river Nile. They had a god for the desert. A god of the wind. A god. They had several gods. You know, they had a pantheon. And it is interesting that they worshipped all these gods. They had a god of death. They had Anubis, Nekbet, Ra, and they had all these gods that they worshipped. And they were over the Israelites. And in that culture, it was only right that if your culture had dominated their culture, then the gods of your culture were indeed more powerful than the gods of the oppressed culture. And so you can imagine how it looked like that the children of Israel are oppressed not only uh, cult- not, not, not only culturally and not only uh, racially, but they are also plagued spiritually. And Egypt seems to rule. In fact, the Egyptians also believed that Pharaoh was a god. Pharaoh was revered and given the status of God. And what happened is that the children of Israel cried out, and the Lord said he will deliver the he will deliver the Israelites. So what did he do? He sent Moses. And Moses came, and there were several plagues, ten to be specific, that were sent out to attack the Egyptians. And the miraculous thing is that those plagues did not touch the children of Israel. And I've got some people who actually say that if you look very keenly and examine the gods of Egypt, you'll find that every plague was attacking a certain god. Every plague was an indictment against a certain god. And if you read the book of Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, this is what it says. I love this verse. It says, this is the Lord speaking. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. It is very interesting that when the Lord is bringing the plagues and the final plague of death is coming, the Lord is making sure that the indictment is not just against Pharaoh. The indictment is not just against the people who dwell in the land of Egypt. The indictment is also against the gods of Egypt. Now, the Egyptians' god of the dead was represented in the form of a jackal, or rather a man who had the head of a jackal. So he was a man from his feet all the way to the neck. He looked like a man, but his head was the head of a dog, Okay, a jackal to be specific. And his name was Anubis. Okay, He was the god of the dead. And when the Lord brought about the plague of death, it was an indictment against Anubis. You must be thinking, uh, honest, surely, you don't believe that Anubis is real. Now let me tell you what human cultures did. Human cultures raised up statues. They raised up altars in favor of certain gods. Uh, For example, the Philistines honored a god called Dagon and Dagon was like a mermaid. He was half man 
half fish from his waist down he was a fish but from his waist up he was a human being and in truth the statues are powerless they really are nothing for example when the children of israel lost the ark of the covenant and the philistines captured it the ark of the covenant when placed in the temple of dagon re- resulted in dagon being brought down face down to just show that they were powerless idols but behind the idols were real gods real demonic entities and the book of exodus and the book of leviticus and the book of deuteronomy do not shy away to say that some of these ancient gods were demons in disguise and so when you see the egyptians raise up the statue of a man with the head of a dog or the head of a jackal and they say this is a newbie the god of the dead Mm-mm. he may be the god of the dead but i'll tell you what he is in truth there is some real demonic power behind it and so when the lord brought death to the children of israel to the, to the, to the not the children of israel but rather the children of egypt it was an indictment against anubis he was saying i am god even god of a death and anubis could not bring back the firstborn of the children of israel who were slain god was declaring that he is powerful and he demonstrated this by having blood shed on the doorposts and the lintels of the children of Israel's houses such that they were protected from the angel of death and the children of Israel know knew and saw that truly Yahweh is greater than Anubis Yahweh is greater than the gods of Egypt and when the Lord comes and gives the children the, the children of Israel the 10 commandments he is not saying you shall have no other gods before me for no reason he has proved himself that he is truly greater than other gods he is not selling himself as a god not to uh, he's not selling himself as a god uh, in competition with other gods who are equally competitive no he's saying i am above all other gods anubis is no, no match for me he's telling the children of israel you saw how i defeated anubis you saw how i brought him down with the plagues and if anubis was defeated the god of the dead surely who else can be defeated all other gods can be defeated you see death is seen as the final journey the final destiny of many people and if death can be reversed surely you have the power of life in your hands and if you have the power of life you got the power over every other thing When the Lord is saying I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt the children of Israel will remember yes he struck all the gods of Egypt like he said in Exodus 12:12 12. and he says out of the house of slavery he says something about these other gods that all other gods enslave you and this is the reality about this command that it does not just show us that God is powerful over all other gods just like he overcame all the gods of Egypt it also shows us that the other gods are enslaving the other gods are punitive if you look at some of the traditional african gods that we have that we worship some of them were vengeful some of them were difficult some of them were punitive some of them demanded blood sacrifices and they were cruel if you study their history and you discover they were not gods they were not god capital g they were fallen angels nephilim some of them great powerful beings but not necessarily the creator of heaven and earth 
when the Lord is telling us, I am the Lord your God, he's saying, listen, I have overcome all gods. I am greater than the Anubises of the time. I am greater than all other templates of any other God that raises itself against me. I am above them all. And beyond that, I am a God who does not enslave you. The other gods enslaved them. The children of Israel were enslaved. Gods of Egypt were not kind. They were brutal. And guys, this is true concerning our gods today in the 21st century. Perhaps you don't necessarily worship Anubis, but our hearts are devoted to something else apart from the God of heaven and earth. Our hearts are devoted to serving something else. What is your God? What do you really live for? What do you really subscribe to? There are many people today who live for pleasure. Pleasure is their everything. They wake up in the morning and they think how to pleasure themselves, how to live for pleasure, how to make themselves feel good. That is your true God. Some people live for money. They sacrifice relationships for the sake of money. They sacrifice opportunities to get involved with their loved ones for the sake of money. They give the excuse that they're out there working for their families while in truth they're working for their God. They love money. The people out there who worship other people, they say they're living for other people. Well, in truth, they don't just live for other people. They worship those people. Some people live for their children. Your children are your God. And if you want to know something is your God, take it away and see how you respond. Is your life worthless without this thing? Is your life finished without this thing? There is no other God other than the one true God. There is no other God other than the one true King. Jesus Christ demonstrates this very powerfully. When he dies on the cross, and by dying on the cross, we are told that he made a public spectacle of all other principalities and powers of darkness, the Bible tells us. You see, just in the same way as the children of Israel were liberated by the blood of the lamb being shed abroad the, host, the, the, the doorposts and the lintels of their houses, and the gods of Egypt were defeated, so did the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, be shed on the doorpost and the lintels of the cross, and the Son of God defeated every other God. When Christ died on that cross, he was declaring that he is king. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that not only did he die, but he took the keys of death and hell. You see, on that night in Egypt, when the Lord destroyed the children the firstborn of the children of Egypt, death had no power. But those who were under the blood of the Lamb were protected from death. When Jesus died, he rose after on the third day. And guess what? Death had no power. Death could not hold him down. He is the risen king. And he took the keys of death and hell. And he said, no other God shall stand in competition to him. He is above them all. And that is why, at the name of Jesus, every other God trembled. And there is one God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 to 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given at the proper time. On that cross he gave himself. And it is an indictment to the gods of this world that their time has come to an end. All false gods, the gods of culture, the gods of false religions, the gods set up in the name of cults, their time is up. Christ has defeated them. Christ
Christ is more powerful than Krishna, than Allah. Christ is more powerful than all the other gods that are raised up against him. Christ has surpassed them all. And just like the death of the firstborn child of Israel, the firstborn child of the, of the Egyptians led to that reality. So the death of the firstborn son of God led to that reality. And secondly, the gods are enslaving. All other gods hold you in religion. They hold you in punitive legalistic practices. Jesus Christ came and said, I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. The Holy One of Israel brings life. He does not bring bondage. All other gods will require you to break your back backwards in order for you to serve them. Jesus Christ is the only one who will say in Mark 10, 45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all men. All other gods enslave you. All other gods require you to perform duties and tasks that will drain you. The gods Molech of the Moabites demanded child sacrifice. They demanded your children to be thrown into the fire. Some of the gods of our dark time today demand blood sacrifice through abortions, through death. Some of the gods of witchcraft, divination, and sorcery have got those demands. Some of them have those demands silently. Some of them come in the form of your corporate ladder. And they demand your soul. You may not think that it is as evil or as bad as perhaps um, those who go visit a witch doctor. But your soul is just as sold to that God as it is to any other God. God says you shall have no other gods before me. Wouldn't you look at the God of the Bible? Wouldn't you look at the God of Israel and see that he's unlike every other God? He's overcome all other gods. He's more powerful than death. The God of the Bible helps us overcome the greatest fear, the fear of death. The average person has that great fear, the fear of death. But the God of the Bible says, I have overcome death, I have overcome hell, I have overcome the greatest fear. There is no other God but me. And the other gods have nothing but torment and fear and uncertainty. The God of the Bible says, you have come from the house of slavery, come to the house of freedom. The house of liberation. In my father's house, there is freedom. In my father's house, there is liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You shall have no other gods before me. Guys, do you have other gods? And perhaps you may say, honest, I do not have other gods. I believe in the one true God. But perhaps there is a functional God in your life. There is something else that you lean on and that you trust more than you trust the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Great I Am. Who do you trust with? Who do you trust the most? Who do you run to in times of trouble? That's one way of locating your false gods. Who do you run to in times of trouble? Another question. Where do you run to when you're anxious? What is your first response when you are worried? Who do you default to when you need life advice? Who do you turn to when you are confused? Who is your God? There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. You shall have no other gods but me. When the Lord gave this command, the children of Israel understood that indeed it was a worthy command. And they understood that the God who was reflecting himself, who was representing himself to them, was not an empty God. It was a powerful God. If you read that chapter in Exodus 20, or rather the chapter before, Exodus 19, You'll realize that the children of Israel um, 
were terrified. The mountain had, you know, trumpets and, and lightning and darkness and tempest. It was a very, very, uh, talk about effect, those, those effects, you know, those effects. <laughs> There's a lot of effect. But the Bible tells us that the God that we have is not just that kind of God. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 18 says, You have not come to what may be touched. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. He's talking about the experience in Exodus 20. You've not come to the sound of the trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to him. As you saying that, he's referencing the experience of the children of Israel. They heard the voice of God and they begged, please, no more. Tell him to speak no more. Verse 20 of Hebrews 12. They could not endure the order that was given, that even if a beast touches the mountain shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the unrighteous, made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There's something about our God. The children of Israel at the mountain saw a God who was unapproachable, a God who was holy, a God who was full of righteousness. A God who demanded ceremonial cleanliness that you could not be ceremonial and clean before you even had him speak. And all of us are incapable of being in contact with that God. But God has not changed. He's not saying I will lower my standards so that they can come to me. He's maintained his standards. But what has he done? He has improved us as people. He has sent his son Jesus Christ. And the son Jesus Christ is the one who is clean. He does not need ceremonial cleansing in order to be cleansed. He does not need to repent of sins in order to approach his God. The son Jesus Christ can approach God because he is perfect without sin, ceremonially clean. The son Jesus Christ has lived a perfectly pure life. He is the only one who can go up the mountain. He can touch the mountain and not be stoned to death. But guess what happened? He did touch the mountain, figuratively speaking. And he was killed. How did he die? He died on the cross. And by dying on that cross, he was an innocent man who had all the full authority, who had all the full capacity to approach a holy, holy God, and yet was still killed. And in doing so, he made a bridge for us to go to him. His blood was able to wipe away our sins and our transgressions. And now we are like those Israelites at the foot of the mountain. We are no longer standing before a mountain that cannot be touched, one with blazing fire and clouds and darkness and gloom and storm. We are standing before Mount Zion, something greater than Sinai, something greater than what was out there in the Arabian desert. We have come to a place not only where there were birds flying around the mountain, but where there are angels innumerable in festal gathering around the assembly. We have come to be made perfect to the spirit of the unrighteous, of the righteous rather. We've come to Jesus. He's the mediator of this covenant. This is the God who's calling us to him. And when he says you shall have no other gods before him, he's saying it because there is no other God that compares to him. Which other God can match him? Which other God can compare to him? 
whichever god can be likened to him whichever god can split the red sea whichever god can rescue israel with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand whichever god can have such great signs and wonders deliver the children of israel whichever god can have water from a rock whichever god can have food come in the form of manna whichever god can provide quails in the desert whichever god can provide an opportunity for the children of Israel to walk in the desert for 40 years and the bible says their sandals and their clothes did not wear out and they did not tear whichever god can provide victory over the amalekites over all other nations whichever god can guarantee the promised land and give victory whichever god can destroy the nephilim whichever god can give the land of milk and honey to a people he promised to his descendants 400 years before and yet was fulfilled in the word even though the people were stubborn whichever god can raise judges give them supernatural powers like samson whichever god can raise wise rulers like prophet samuel whichever god can raise a man after god's own heart like king david whichever god can pomp and decorate a man with wisdom and treasure like solomon whichever god can have the wisdom of josiah the wisdom of hezekiah whichever god can demonstrate the wonderful courage of esther whichever god can come so powerfully in the person of jesus christ humble himself die experience our infirmity experience our weaknesses experience what we experience and whichever god can die on the cross for the sins of others whichever god is so in touch with human weakness whichever god can match jesus christ there is no other god but him there is no other god who can match him when he calls us he's not calling us to emptiness he's calling us to greatness he's calling us to serve the king of kings the great i am the land of the tribe of judah you shall have no other gods before me ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for tuning in my name is anis wamboy this is the relationship center on the edify podcast network and i hope this has blessed you next week we'll be looking at the second command and for more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you please head over to www.edify.app that is edifi.app and search for the edify app in the app store or in the google play store And we will see you next time.